Because I know Pony, I know Genuine's Pony not because of the song, but because of Rihanna's song S and M, who samples Genuine's Pony. Because why wouldn't you? Because why wouldn't it's you? It's unrelated so sexy. to the Metallica album S and M, which is very different. Which is, that, is just a is that bunch the one? Of, so every the one that's got Master of Puppets on it. Yeah, they all have Master. They all have it's Master. A oh. They all have Master of Puppets. <laughs> There's no show that they've played since Master of Puppets came out that they haven't played Master. Puppets. Surely. I mean, I w- if I wrote that song, I'd be playing it all the time. That's down at the shops. Have you heard this one? Yes, I have heard that. Yes, we've heard it. And then you put the vocals from Genuine's Pony on top You do this every day. Trying to picture that in my mind. No, me neither. Except all I'm hearing is the corn song from the other mashup. I'm not hearing the actual one. We're two mashups deep and it's confusing. Right in. My bonnet. Yeah. Just slow the tempo right down. Oh my god, it's actually good. It's actually really good. Oh no. Oh god. Someone someone Sick. Anyway. No, I'm still stuck on a mashup between Watermelon Man by <laughs> Herbie Hancock. Which goes. Obviously, the other version. The one that starts with. It's pretty sick. It's tight. And Cardi B's uh, WAP. Um, <laughs> Were you saying WAP? I would go WAP. Doesn't she literally say WAP in the song? It's WAP. Is it? It's WAP. I've only clearly haven't listened to the I've song only heard though. the Richard Cheese version, which is, <laughs> which is what highlighted to me uh, what a fucking hilarious song that is. Like, it actually is genuinely funny. I know that it's like there was all this conservative outcry and whatever around it, and I just ignored it because I thought it was some stupid thing. But it's so self-effacing and hilarious. It is a funny, funny song. Mm. I love it's it. It's also a banger. Is it? Yeah. Especially when you put watermelon underneath it in my head. Did it, didn't, did it, do. I can't remember anything. I can't remember anything. We should talk about video games now. I can't talk about this. Yeah, all right. (laughs) We'll 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 do the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Music in Everything podcast. I realize that we're now three episodes into season two, and I haven't really reiterated what it is the podcast is about. Uh, So for those who are fresh, crisp, clean, smelling, delightful (laughs) new listeners out there, um, please come back. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Jim, and these are the Sams. Hello. 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 And uh, it's our job, self-provided role. We've decided, (laughs) unprompted, to be uh, digging into topics that we don't know a lot about and trying to find the joy in it, uh, try and find what's exciting about it, what makes people passionate about it, and to try and find the music in it. And today, 
we're doing something that actually we are all quite passionate about, or at least I am, and that is the topic of video games. Hooray! Video games! And of course, we uh, have a tradition where we have a a rather ugly uh, chief investigator cap. Um, It is bright. Is it fetching? It has like pink font and is a green hat on white that says chief investigator, and that is the person who did most of the research for the episode, which of course this time is Samantha. That's me. Talk to us about video games. No. No, I'm just All right, thanks very much for listening. Everyone <laughs> take care of each other. Okay, so video games. So you mentioned that already that you're very into video games. So I am, yeah. You play them. You should disclose yourself now. You should tell brother. us your relationship with video games and you tell me your relationship with video games. And well, I mean, what's my... interesting is I didn't really grow up with video games as young as some people that I know. Um, we never really had like computer games, Game Boys, consoles, because, again, I grew up in the 90s um, and, and like, we didn't really have any of that in the house. It was not something that we had lying around. And it wasn't until kind of early teen years that we started being able to kind of delve into that. Um, and I had a lot of mates who had consoles. I'd go and visit them. And we play. It was the 64, Nintendo 64 at the time. We'd go and play, you know, competitive GoldenEye and stuff, and I have very lovely memories of that. And I, I think a lot of listeners are out there going like, yeah. me too. <laughs> um and, uh, and yeah, from that point on, it was sort of like it became more of a passion and not, not just an interest, but an actual passion of mine, particularly even as an adult now. Um, and I actually have a, a, a this is going to be shameless self-promotion now, but Please. I actually do have a, a, a Twitch channel. I go by the real Jim Gray and um, I'm trying to build a community there that it's really kind of like a really welcoming and supportive community. It's not even really about the gaming so much as it's about being able to spend time together and, and sort of feel a part of something. And it's it's really nice. But like primarily the kind of games that I like are like your sort of sword and sorcery RPGs, like your Dark Souls, like really challenging kind of games um, from yeah. like FromSoft games. There's probably some of my favorite ones out there. That's awesome. So you... You stream games to I people stream regularly. video games regularly live on the internet with me talking rubbish over the top. Sounds yeah. appropriate. Uh, Sam. I uh, played air hockey on my phone this morning. <laughs> well done. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> I have a very, very different relationship to games, um, even though Jim and I grew up together. Um, and I, I don't really play them at all. Um, so I didn't really historically play them. Like historically, that's like, so, <laughs> that's what you talk about, like people and, and things. No, uh, I didn't, I didn't play them in the past. Yeah. Um, and in the I, year 1899, <laughs> Samuel was still not playing video games because he, it was not to be born for another fucking mathematics 93 years. 90, what? Um, yeah. So I, I don't play much in the way of video gaming. Mm. <clears throat> but um, uh, yeah. But you've played games it. before. But I also, but like, I do have like lots of um, again, glowing childhood memories of things. Mm. I'm so nostalgic about certain games. I've actually replayed some games from the past. And but you were more into the sort of point and click puzzle game. I was, yes. So like your Mist, Monkey Riven. Island, Riven, yep. Monkey Island, other games, and games Zork. that had, Zork, <laughs> you know, games that had a, a you know sense of humor about themselves. Yeah, well, see, like I have, I have glasses and I needed glasses as a kid. My eyes were probably worse than in terms of glasses. Technology's improved a great deal. Mm. So um, I had a lot of trouble with games because I couldn't play them as well as anybody else. So my eye-eye coordination was really, really poor. Um, so yeah, of course, I like the games I liked were like these adventure games that were all very funny games and you t- had to think about what yeah, you're doing. Yeah, you gradually work out what the puzzle is. And we're just instantly killed by bots on the first level or something. Oh, <laughs> no. Pour your own wine, friend. Tell us your stories. And then me. Okay, so because this is going to show my age because I grew up, uh, so I'm four years younger than Sam, 10 years younger than Jim. Yes. So I was 
in the time where consoles were a thing that people had. We had a PS2, a compact pink PS2. Oh, that's awesome. That was so it's sick. So good. And it, <laughs> I wish I had one. Of those. It was so sick, and we played SingStar, and it was the, and it was that kind of time. We all had Game Boys, mm-hmm. um, like Game Boy Colors, and then we all had like Nintendo DSs. Mm-hmm. Like we had consoles, but none of us were really like gamers. Like Game like games. I said, we played like yeah. SingStar. We did like Mario yeah. Kart. You could like with the old group activities. Yeah, group activities, mm-hmm. but you could also like you could on your DS and you could like sync them up with each other and then you could race each other. Oh, see, that's fun. That was sick. The, the hilarious part of that is that that's what Caligula's horse do on tour. Like if we're in a long so haul nice. flight, we have our switches out and we like connect up via Bluetooth and so race awesome. each other in actual in Mario Kart. Yeah. Like this is what we <laughs> well, Mario, literally what I mean, we do. And we're going to get to it, but Mario Kart is uh, or Mario the Mario dudes. Yeah. Uh the Mario Bros, shall we say? Um <laughs> stop. It's <laughs> like <laughs> Cold. Um, they've been around for for a while, and they they kind of are like the I would say the, the kind of uh, what, how do I want to say this like an icon the of fun gaming mascot of of sort of like that kind of gaming of which cooperative is of cooperative fun couch co-op or couch yeah gaming um but yeah I, I never played like you know I'm not I'm not big into like the sort of puzzle games I didn't mm. play a lot of those I'm not really Shooters. No, Plenty not really. Cod. Into, <laughs> no, never played any, any COD. Um, but it was, me, yeah, me it was. <laughs> no. Um, but like, I also was a part of the generation that had like access and like the phone game phenomenon, the mobile phone game uh, phenomenon was yeah, like my, true. I was the target for that. So yeah. like Fruit Ninja, Angry Birds, all of that. Of course, because you, you, you would have been still in school. I was yeah. still in school when that was happening. Yeah, and yeah. so, you know, and we were the sort of young people on the, you know, having the iPod touches and also having the iPhones, okay. playing so those games. We're all just outing our age right now. Yeah. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> it's fascinating because like how close we are relatively in age, I like to think. Um, like, <laughs> yes. it, you know, it's like the 10 years difference is so massive in technology in that like, yeah. for you're talking about having the iPod Touch or the iPhone mm. um, towards the end of high school. Yes. Whereas, like for me, even starting university, studying music, I was walking around with a discman and CDs, like burned CDs, in my bag that I had to listen to for study <laughs> purposes. So it's like I, I, I didn't have an iPod. There was no such thing. So mm. it's like that escalation of that technology also probably ties in with the gaming experience as well. Yeah. That like the the Game Boy was misunderstood. I mean, I think certainly in our family it was. Mm-hmm. Like the Game Boy is mis- misunderstood as to what it is. And then the technology goes so fast to become something else that like if you're like us and kind of removed from that, it means that you've you've totally kind of missed an, a cultural phenomenon as well. Yeah, and I think that you're right in saying that the technological element of, of game, design, game development is actually like that's technology and gaming as a concept are so connected in mm-hmm. not just – how people play the games, but what kind of games exist. And so that's pretty much, that's that's the story that we're mm. kind of going to be telling today is like yeah. how this all kind of develops until we get to the point where the gaming situation we have access to today mm. with these different consoles and the PC versus console gaming and the mobile versus real gaming sort yeah. of discourse that we currently have going on. So that's so awesome. I... Um the first thing, though, to, that comes to mind for me is the fact that it's called video gaming. Like, we, you know, I feel so lame saying that, by the way. It feels like we're saying, like, oh, yes, we will play a video game together, video game. won't we, children? And later, we should go to the pictures. <laughs> but it's like we don't have another word because normally you would just say gaming. But here we have to be more specific. Yeah. And obviously, in all of our research that Sam and I have done, all everybody has to refer to it as video gaming for the same reason. Yeah, because yeah, gaming, obviously, I mean, if you listen to the tabletop gaming episode that we did last season, gaming as a concept encompasses board games all of that as well all of yeah. those video gaming is mm. just one aspect of 
gaming of play. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so, and it's basically technologically mediated. Like you need technology to do it because you need video, visual elements and like graphics and all of these things. So what you're saying is that if you had, Bonobos had the technology. Oh, they would play. They would sure. play video games. They would play COD all the time. Bonobos would rip. Yeah, they would actually. They would. They would be so sick. Arguably, they would be better than me at most games. I want. I want to say this. It's like, despite the fact that it's like part of how I make a living, uh, it's. Like, <laughs> it's like I'm actually really bad at it. Though. Well, it'd be I'm fascinating terrible. because they'd have to design a controller for the hands. Yeah, yeah. And then also to be indestructible because are we, they're just are we great doing apes. This? Are, we do, are we diving into this? This is our life's work. Okay, sweet. So now, um, <laughs> everybody, take care of each other. We'll talk to you. Soon. <laughs> We'll talk to you as yeah, soon as we soon fucking can. As soon as we figure this out. But um, let's just start from the start. Good idea. How, how does that sound? No. Let's avoid the bonobos for now. Yeah. We'll come to the bonobos in time, okay? Yeah. Um, so the question is, when does video gaming start? Yeah, like what is the first video game? And I'm what, so what constitutes the first video game? Hit me. So in 1951 is when computer scientists are fucking around with electronic machines mm-hmm. and they use the computers to develop simple games to basically demonstrate the power of the system. They were sort of like the computer playing itself kind of games. They weren't players playing games. How about a nice game of chess? Yeah, that's Not quite that. I really didn't love that. That sounded like it's, something. You know, it's a dated reference. He's referring to. Uh, the film, The War Games from 1980 something. Oh, I don't know that. Yeah, that's a okay. shame. shame. Never mind. <laughs> Moving <Awkward>. on. <laughs> and so. What about um, thermonuclear war? <laughs> <laughs> and so the earliest, so lots of, Okay, so there's a lot of debate about what the first game is because essentially what you have, like Pong is usually the one that's referred to as the first proper video game. Okay. However, there was a game called Tennis for Two that was created by <laughs> William Higginbotham. And not this is made up. I, at I refuse Brookhaven to believe. Brookhaven National Laboratory in 1958. This guy was a pioneer, Jim. He used an analog computer okay, and an oscillator, oscilloscope <laughs> for a display and it basically was like almost like a radar thing to kind of see where everything is, but it was essentially a computer playing tennis with itself. And then... Then why was it called Tennis for Two? Because it's two people. Yeah, but if it's playing tennis with itself, then... Oh, Jim. Jim. <laughs> ah. It's simulating tennis with two but people. But then oh, there's okay, also... Right. There was also the, the Sorry, game... Sorry, Mr. Higginbotham. <laughs> there's also the game Space War. Um, do you know about Space War? Did you research it? Yeah, no, vaguely, because I know that um, it was in the 60s and it was, yes. I think, MIT... Yes, and they were again just playing around with computers, just going that wonderful thing that like like computer scientists have done since forever. They've, since we've had computer scientists, which is just like, I reckon we could do it. <laughs> Let's see if it's. I reckon it's possible. I'm going to make it possible. Let's give it a crack. And so they made this game, and like learning about it, it's actually pretty incredible because it is still like it's like an what do you picture like a sort of arcade style game and of like ships like attacking mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. Like this is on a on a video screen, and keeping in mind in the '60s the only thing that would be going on a screen visually like that would be TV. Okay. So just yeah. get into that mindset. And also like, we're not talking yeah. about the computers of our heyday or even the computers of like in our youth, the big like towers and stuff like that, those yeah. bulkier. And we're not even really talking about CRTs at this point mm. even really. We're talking about mainframes. We're talking about like big machines yeah. doing all of this work. And that's why like none of these games, this is why there's a bit of debate around it. None of these games were for public consumption. They were simply just mechanisms to test the capacity of computers. Wasn't Space War, it was adapted into um, computer space, which was then released yes. for public use Yes. in 71. And that was, I think, must have been the first or at least arguably the first 
accessible computer game, like popularly accessible computer game. For people. For people. Yeah, and so the 70s was a really, really big moment for um, the development of video gaming because you had the development of something called BASIC, which is like, a, is it a computer software? It was like a, a terminal system um, Yeah, it's, it's a language. It's a, a language for computers. Yeah. I don't pretend to language. know any of this. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then you also had a- BASIC for BASIC, I'll tell you that much. I'm hey. Yeah. <laughs> and you would have all seen BASIC before because it's like really iconic. It was used in, and referenced a lot. I think in The Simpsons a lot. I've seen frames of it anyway. It doesn't matter. But it, it looks like capital letters and typing words that you would actually understand. Not like a Is terminal it now. It's like print this, uh, yeah, okay. enter, and it looks yeah. like that. Yeah. Oh, yes, like the hacker films. Yeah, because it was- <laughs> Like the 90s hacker films. <laughs> it was really clever because it was designed to be um, really user-friendly for its yeah, time. You're using, you're using human language to communicate with a computer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then what happens is also in 71, you get this widespread adoption of Unix operating systems. And that alone, Shit, yeah. again, I don't know anything. Do you know about Unix operating systems? Uh, a little bit. So I think it was developed out of, I think, Bell Labs. And again, it was just people trying to solve problems mm. and they had to develop a, a way of computers multitasking. I'm not across the details, yeah. but Unix, and then evolved into a Unix-based operating systems, which includes not just Mac OS now and iPhones, but it also developed into Linux, which now runs most of the internet and also Android is Linux-based. Okay. So Unix is sort of the beginning of computer operating and when systems was, as we when know was that? it. This is in the 70s. 70s. For, okay, wow. but we are going to put a pin in this because I do <laughs> think that we are going to do an entire episode on computers and coding. Okay, And right. so this is a taste of what's to yeah. come. Yeah, uh, a little bit of like... <laughs> big, big chats. Yeah, keep keep listening because we were going to get into it in a bit more detail, but it's important to know like kind of the technological side of this. Mm-hmm. And so modern video game industry actually grew out of a concurrent development. So there were two different streams of gaming, video gaming that developed. There was arcade video gaming, and then there was home video gaming consoles. So arcade video gaming, I don't know if, you, were ar- video game arcades a thing for you guys? They kind us. of still are, but in a different way. Yeah, they like, kind of have had there's this. There's a lot more of, of the kind of like, um, uh, what, what would you call it? Like like a... Um, <sighs> but cuff muffin. Games that you would play at the Echo, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What are they called? Like hoop games and like throwing things and sideshow games, sideshow games, things yes. like that. Yeah. yeah. So there, there are more of those in like an arcade now. Um, yeah. But like wherever you would go, like say for example, when I was a kid, and we would do some like '90s ass laser skirmish or something like that in one of those laser skirmish places indoors. They would always have like one or two of those con- um, the not consoles, yeah, yeah. the um, the arcade machines, arcade machines, like and a cabinet like, game. Yeah, I remember yeah. they had like Metal Slug and they had Street Fighter and all that kind of stuff, like the classics. Yeah. Yeah. So Pong. 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 Now, Pong is a, it's basically, a, it's a, one of the first arcade games. It was released in 1972. It was one of the first successful ones and Atari, the company Atari developed it. Was Atari the first home console? Yes. Yeah, nice. Um, so it's a tennis themed uh, arcade sport and it's a 2D graphic. You have literally just got your little paddle on the side and there's two people and you move your paddle and you hit the ball, which just moves. Yeah, it responds it, to the impact of the side of, of, of the, the screen side of the or thing. of the, your paddle. And your paddle just moves up and down on the screen. There's yeah, no there's like lateral movement at all. Absolutely it's just sliding not. it to meet the thing. And the thing is, I remember playing this as a, a kid, obviously, like, I mean, this is years later, but like, <laughs> I do remember having like, there was like a school computer or something early on that had it. I remember playing it and having a blast. It's a good it. time. Despite how simple it is. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like sometimes those really, really simple games can be the most fun. It's think about like, I think about pinball machines. Yeah, that's fun. You know, that's super fun. And in fact, what was really interesting, obviously when we're talking about arcades, there were arcades before uh, video arcade games. Mm -hmm, They were the the ball and paddle style, the pinball machine style 
game. So what ended up happening is mid-70s mid roll around. There's a whole bunch of ball and paddle games. People mm-hmm. are sick of it. They're like, ugh, another ball and paddle Lame. game. Ew. <laughs> and so. That ain't hip or however people spoke then. I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't there. So then what That's ends not up, crispy at all, man. Get out of here. Ends up, and actually, I do want to take an aside. Okay, a bit of an ed- etymology aside. Etymology break from Etymology. The word arcade. Okay. Comes from the French word arcade, meaning vaulted space, which comes from the Italian word arcata, which means arc of a bridge, right? So mm-hmm. it's like this curved situation. The reason why they're called arcades, I'm getting there, your face is confused. Just hold on. <laughs> In English, an arcade was used to refer to a passage that was formed by many archways. So think about Elizabeth Street Arcade in the city. Sort of got that vaulted. Yeah, it's like it's a throughway. It's just a throughway. Yeah. These spaces were typically lined with shops or amusements like sideshow games. Oh, right, gotcha. Like the clown ball games so or like the throwing. So it's referred to as an arcade game so because it's, it's while you were going through there. Yeah, you would oh, often find. So sideshow alley game. That is an arcade. Specific it's Brisbane exactly Echo reference yeah, is kind of. Is literally an arcade game. There you go. So that's Yeet. where it all starts. And so like the classic ones are like you've got like the, um, you know, you throw something to knock something over to win points, mm. ring tossy style games. Like those mm-hmm. are the old school arca- arcade games. Then you get to the mid mid to late 70s, Tomohiro Nishikado developed Space Invaders. And I was, was going to bring up Space Invaders. Yeah, That's we're getting, cool. oh, it's so good. First released in Japan in 78. This is, I would say, not only, like Pong obviously was like the first video game. This is the one that really took this yeah, like video it gaming. It really, people. like people love this game. Well, I mean, it's such a simple it's fun. idea, but mm. it is so cool. Mm. Yeah, and so the other thing that this did was Space Invaders popularized several important concepts in arcade video games. So it had live regulated play. So you have lives that you can lose Mm -hmm. and your turn is not time-based. You don't stop playing because you've run out of time. You stop playing when you run out of lives. Yeah, it's survival-based. Yes. You can gain extra lives through accumulating points Mm -hmm. and they track high scores. Which is the classic yeah. when you go to an arcade game and you're you like, you want your name on the top yeah, of the leaderboard. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing, the thing is, they still do that even with online gaming. Yes, like you, you're a ranked player in yeah. like Call of Duty or something like that. You know, they still have like, you know, it's it's crazy. You could be the number one. So this was in '78. Fucking guitar hero. They introduced like. these concepts. So is this kind of the point where this becomes a very like? Japanese-led phenomenon because when we're talking about the 50s to early 70s, we're talking about all these, it's basically just like nerds and engineers and stuff working on it in unis, some of which like computer space space becomes a cabinet game. Yeah, and the same with Pong, it becomes a cabinet game and that's all very US-based and then this is kind of where Japan really makes its first mark Mm. Yeah, um, and and maintains its its presence throughout the entirety of this story. Japan is a huge... Can we just talk about the concept of, of Space Invaders? For a minute, like yeah. what, what the game yeah. actually is. Yeah, do you have a good description of yeah, it? Yeah, it's like, you know, it's saying before with Pong basically being stationary up and down with no lateral movement of your paddle. It's basically the opposite where you're at the bottom moving from left to right and shooting pew, pew, pew up towards, uh, you know, like a range of different patterns of, of uh, alien ships that are slowly cascading down and you have to try and stop them from hitting the ground or drop bombs or whatever else. And it's, it's your job to try and prevent them hitting you for as long as humanly possible. Yeah. Um, and so, and they disappear when you shoot them. So it's kind of like if you picture like Tetris where everything's kind of dropping down and once a line is full, they disappear, that kind of thing. It's a similar thing, except you're trying to destroy them as they're on the way 
uh, down towards the ground. Um, and so you can imagine somebody, again, whose gaming experience might be literally Pong on an Atari, mm. seeing this and having their mind blown because the little things that are dropping down aren't just like a block or a single you know square like the ball in Pong. This is like a designed to look like a little pixelated alien ship mm. that is coming down. So artistically, you're already and thematically really excited about the concept because it's taking uh, the structure of a game that you already know through Pong and basically putting it in a sci-fi context. Yeah, and it's actually the first game that ha does has that sort of like enemies come in waves, sort of progressive yeah. movement where new things are entering the screen <laughs> as well. Whereas previously all of the material or the content of the game already was existed. already existed exactly. on the screen. The disposable army concepts. Yeah. yeah. But also this is the funnest, the funnest thing. Mm. It is the first game to include background music. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. true. So it's the first game to include background music through the whole thing. Because mm -hmm. prior to that games in an arcade would have like a, like Western Gun was a successful um, game in 1975. That one just had like sort of intro music and then little effects, little Ooh. white noisy effects. You go for like a gun or something. Um, but Space Invaders had the music the whole time. And it's literally like... Dun, 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 and it would speed up, wouldn't it? Uh, and it would speed up as, the, as they would approach you. The original oh. So if you're losing... Music. It the gets music faster. gets faster. So like this is comical to us now because there's literally, oh, it had a soundtrack, great, four notes that are probably really annoying. And But it like it's revolutionary because this is the first time when they're using game sound to actually affect the player in some way to make yeah. you stressed. <laughs> I mean, it's also, I mean, th that's something that still happens now in a far more complex way, obviously. But it's like, if you look at, say, a game like Doom, for example, mm -hmm. like the sound design in that game, and obviously like Mick Gordon's soundtrack for, for Doom was like really lauded as this, this huge thing, and it should be because it's just fucking sick. But like, depending on how many enemies and how intense and how fast you're moving and how far, and like intense the combat is right at this second, that... It, it, it depends, like the intensity of the music changes with it. So it's like you've got, you're on your way to something and you can tell something's about to happen because you can feel that eerie noise and there's a slight pulse to it. And then, you know, it gets heavier as you're fighting things and then the bigger enemy show up and all of a sudden you've got the big fat riff kicks in and it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's go time. It's like the only game that I've ever played where I've been killed in the game because I've been jamming out to the riff too hard. This awesome. Oh, dude, what? The? Oh, and then no, nah, dead. Um, but yeah, so interesting that that, Dates all the way back to space the beginning, invaders. Basically. Yeah, so it's because it's not just like an innovation in terms of like the technological innovation to do that, which it is, by the way, but um, it's also like a, an innovation in game design. Mm. And it's it's again, it's very Inventing hard to imagine because it's yeah. so simple. It just seems so absurd. It's mm. like a silly little iPhone games are about a thousand times more complicated than this. Yeah. But it's never simple to be the first person to do something. Yeah. Ever. Like that is a massive innovation. That is a creative person. That is like mm. somebody having a huge brainwave and then not just that, but just actually finding the way to manifest that in reality. Like, incredible. I mean, you did a whole bunch of research into game music if you yes, wanted to did. go on a little bit I of a I would like tangent. to talk about that. Yeah, because please go ahead. Before we also go. go ahead in time as well, like just yes. stay in the arcade for a second. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so game music, I think the important point about game music is, again, this is a thing that we take for granted. So we think everything's got audio, right? <laughs> like, of course it does. But it's like, this is pre-personal computing. You guys, like, we don't have the Apple II yet. Uh, we don't even have the IBM first personal computer. We have nothing. There are mainframes and there's stuff like this. There's arcade games. The games are not software. So you've got to get that out of our heads. So let's get out of your heads like downloading or buying on a disc and putting on something. That is not, has not yet arrived. What we have is games are, are a machine. Like when you 
bought, if you were a pub and you bought Space Invaders, you would be buying that cabinet. Because it is the machine. It, it is, is the, the game. game. Yeah. The circuits are designed for that game. Mm. Um, a lot of the times, especially before 75 with Western Gun, they didn't have microprocessors in them. They weren't like computers as we knew them. Mm. They were specifically designed really simple logic circuits just to do what they needed to do. All right. So like, there's a lot that I could ask you uh, and I'm not going to because like, there was about four or five things you said through there that was just like, I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that we're gonna take for granted that we know what the the IBM thing is. We're gonna we're gonna yeah. skip past the logic circuit. We're just gonna I'm gonna we're just gonna <laughs> keep going. Just don't don't get distracted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So basically, they can't play an audio file because that doesn't exist yet on about three different in three different ways. Mm -hmm. Basically, like so, I mean, one digital audio doesn't hasn't really been developed yet. In the early '70s, it's still in its infancy and development. They're still experimenting mm. with, oh, we can record something and we can convert it to binary and then we can convert that binary back out into voltage signal to drive a speaker and we're back and we're listening to music. That is like not here And all yet. it costs is your soul. <laughs> <laughs> Just feel like that a little, it's sorcery. Yeah. Um, and then second, there's no computer, especially not an arcade game, not a mainframe, like an arcade game that would have the memory to store it. Even if it was some insane compressed file, which also doesn't exist yet. <laughs> oh, um, <God. laughs> this is the wild west, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so what they had instead um, were specialized little chips that would just produce a tiny sound um, to a speaker. So they would just be, a, they're essentially like a little synthesizer. Mm -hmm. It's a programmable sound device. What was, it? What was the actual term? I don't know. I'm the Swedish chef. Why would um, they call them that? Programmable <laughs> sound generators. Okay. They were, they were small chips that would just produce like a square wave or like a sine wave. If you remember us talking about sine waves from the music episode. Yeah. So, um, and that would just go out to a speaker. But they were really unreliable because they're, they're not they're not a musical instrument. Mm -hmm. There's this little crude little device that makes a little bit of electricity go in a particular wave. Yeah. Um, so that's why there wasn't very much music early on because they would probably manage to produce one, maybe two sounds at the same time. Mm. And so we're talking, it would be like, boop, 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 boop. <laughs> okay. Well, that's actually yeah. uncanny what you just did. That's amazing. Yeah, that sounded like. Do you feel nostalgic? Um, I, oh, I feel For old. somebody else? I definitely feel old. Um, so in order to make that sound, it's not just as simple of like, oh, we'll chuck that code in there using our wonderful coding computer, which we have. Nope. Um, this, is, <laughs> no can this is not the era we're talking about. Yeah. You have to transcribe this music manually into a code that would instruct that chip to make that sound. Mm. So even to get this, so when we fast forward now to 1978 to Space Invaders, which has got a much better programmable chip, and then um, you program don't, 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 don't with the with the tempo increase. Yeah, you see now why that it was like probably really hard. Jesus Christ! Yeah. So like basically, as time goes on, like once like sort of PCs get on the market, and you got like you know stuff like the Commodore sixty four or early PCs would have. Mm -hmm. um, they wouldn't have speakers because again, they can't play audio files. That's not a concept that exists yet. Um, so. A computer needs to make error sounds or sounds when you turn it on. So there's actually a little speaker on, on the CPU of the PCs that was just make a little square wave or something. Um, and PCs still have them. So if you ever you know get to the BIOS screen or something and it's like yeah <laughs> yeah yes. Um, so like recently I was I sounds insane out of context, but I downloaded an Atari emulator <laughs> to play <He> does this. <laughs> to play a game from 1983 called The Dragon Riders of Pern based off the Anne McCaffrey books of the same name. Um, this is Sam. I don't really game. <laughs> Great. Well, I didn't play it. Um, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> he just looked 
did it. You're like the definition definition of like having your cake and not eating it too. Like you can either have the game or play it. I'm not going to do both. And then I just erase the whole thing yeah. um, with my little erase trigger. <laughs> I've got that ready. Um, yeah, so the point of that was that um, I expected it to the sound not to work because I'm like, it doesn't have the same hardware as a fucking Atari or something from 1983. Mm. But then, um, of course, it was actually driving the computer speaker, which is still in my computer, my 2020 ThinkPad. Yeah. Um, it was something like... Probably with less swing, um, which yeah. would be really hard to code that. <laughs> that was uh, really groovy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Are you doing play- Genuine's Pony again? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> Um, but okay, so I immediately associate that sound with some of the DOS games that we played, Jim. Yeah. Uh, when we got a, like a DOS emulator and you got a whole bunch of old games. Or when we were younger, it was just DOS. Um, mm. But you like play like uh, Prince of Persia. Yeah, classic. PC games. Uh, and, and God of Thunder where the sounds were just like, ooh, 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 ooh. Oh. <laughs> like, and it was just a little little tiny shitty speaker in the, in the computer doing that. What about like Amazing. Age of Empire? Age of Empire, well, no, but that was in the CD audio time. Oh, yeah. of course. So, like basically by the, the turn of like the eighties, as we get further into the eighties, the chips get much better. And they're actually now like um, at this point, like a frequency modulation synthesizer, but they're basically a little digital synthesizer chip that can produce about like, you know, four to eight sounds at once. So this is where you get sort of the more familiar sounding music where it's kind of polyphonic. You've got multiple sounds at once. You got Is this eight bit? Is that what you mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's what we now think of as eight bit because it's, it's, it's kind of a retrospective thing to yeah. them. It was just like the music that we can put on the, the fucking what game. We are, <laughs> the most that we are physically capable of doing. Like we're trying our best. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so cool because as soon as they get multiple channels, all of a sudden like um, you start getting like compositions for games. It's not just like whatever we can afford in memory to, to put in the game. Mm. Like all of a sudden you get- You have polyphony. You yeah, can do this. You've got soundtracks like um, like uh, Nobuo Uematsu for Final Fantasy. Yes. Um, yeah. And- uh, Actually, for Super Mario as well and Zelda, you've got Koji Kondo as well. Yeah. So running like iconic music that people still yeah. listen to oh, now. Yeah, I was going to yeah. bring up the Mario sounds because you've got the different spaces, yeah, yeah, yeah. have different like And noises. so like in the early days, yeah. the more channels you've got, you've got, so let's say you've got eight channels or like or maybe four channels would be better to demonstrate. Four channels and like one's a sine wave and a triangle wave and a square wave and one's noise. So that's generally how these chips worked. So you've got like, okay, we could have three musical notes kind of, but if one sound effect needed a square wave for a second, the music just stops mm. and just plays that. And that kind of made sense to me because it kind of clicked remembering that kind of music on games like uh, Wing Commander mm. uh, in the early 90s, how the music would just sort of drop out so we could go... Yeah. And then stop. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's, that's basically like the development through the 80s. Um, and then it was only really in the 90s when you got like um, CD quality audio by this point, digital audio obviously exists, mm-hmm. um, and computers are able to play it. And so the PlayStation and the Nintendo 64 were able to play what we call WAV files. Yeah. Now. Okay. Um, and so, you so that's when get you actually scores get scores. For scores. You yeah. get actual audio put in the yeah. in the game. And a, like the the innovation and like the I don't know the, the like the technical creativity or the technological yeah. creativity there is insane to me. Like absolutely wild. Yeah, and especially because like they would have to compose music to make it sound like there was a lot going on mm-hmm. uh, and and use arpeggios really cleverly because it would make it sound like there's more music happening, but there's only three voices. And well, do you reckon time? that's probably, I mean, like that's probably dri- driving why like the Mario theme song is so adventurous, you know, because when you hear yeah. it, it's like, it's quite complex, you know, the freaking... Um, 
there's a lot going on and it's, and it's, it's not just fucking sick but it's like it's actually quite hard to sing you know it's like quite a difficult kind of melody but you can understand why if that had like one moving bass underneath it and you had that melody over the top then you're only using two parts you know what I mean to mm, kind of like yeah. have these lines of, of melody or whatever yeah because you just had to basically you know you would be told the parameters of like no 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 less <laughs> stop that and and like the musician would probably have to be the one who would be composing direct into the, the code essentially because mm. uh, otherwise you would never be able to kind of like oh I've got this genius thing that I'm now trying to shrink into this like <laughs> tiny <laughs> little box and again we come across these people who have this capacity that is not just like insane technical know-how yeah. but also and and musical know-how but then the creativity to combine the two yeah because okay so like that thing I was saying where the games are a machine mm. like I you know not only the arcade games are a machine that they had to build specific for it but um also like they, they released Pong as like a um, a console game like no, not like hmm. It was a console. Yeah, you don't buy a console <laughs> and then the game to insert into yes, the console. It was a pong machine. Service is like kids gathering around playing the pong machine, and it's it just amazing. seems completely obscene. Yeah. It would be like a, like oh, gather around the Snake Two console. Like, <laughs> 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 oh, That's dear. absolutely wild. Dear idea. Um, so you're talking about like so pong, Space Invaders, all of this happening in the late seventies. This is what we now refer to as the golden age of arcade games. Okay. So what we've got, we've got Asteroids, we've got Galaga, we've got Pac-Man, we've got mm. Donkey Kong, we've got the iconic arcade games yeah. all being developed in the late 70s, early 80s. They And it is the time of the arcade. Like it is, this is where people mostly play their games at home gaming hasn't really, it's there. And it's a cultural phenomenon. It's a cultural phenomenon. It's what the youth are doing. Yeah, like think you can picture the scene of like people around like somebody playing Space Invaders and trying to get the high score and everyone's like watching them do this thing. And everyone's granddad's like, oh, they're down there the whole time with this. (laughs) Yeah, down there they wasted with the beep, beep, beep and the the machines they got there. Yeah, and I think Um, about- I don't know where that person's from. Yeah, that was like, you pulled that from somewhere. But um, I mean, we were literally talking about this yesterday, but was it yesterday or the day before? doesn't matter. Tron. The Tron, movie yeah. Tron yes. is literally this guy in an arcade playing an arcade game and then getting sucked into the game. Is that correct? No, he gets no. sucked into a computer mainframe that is playing games with yeah. him. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it's a computer. Yeah, it's a really, really big supercomputer that he's ah, sucked Ah, that's into. right. I haven't seen Tron. That's malevolent. <laughs> but the game style of... Of like the you know the racing scene where he's yeah. like playing the game. That's this. That's kind of the technological like limit of the kind of graphics we're dealing with, though. Yeah. So it's still like very much two dimensional platform, mm-hmm. maybe because like Donkey Kong's a platform game because you kind of jump around, you have levels, you throw the thingy. Yeah, the thingy gets what is it? He throwing barrels. He's throwing barrels. Throwing barrels. Throwing barrels. Well, you know, like Space Invaders in terms of like uh, low tech. Uh, innovations uh, like to get the color on the screen sometimes it is what if it was a black and white screen they would just like kind of put cellophane over certain sections of it and stuff mm. or a rainbow cellophane I think I've seen that in actually in some old machines that are popped so, like, somewhere the screen ha- was covered with a yeah yeah so that the, the aliens would change color as you went down or something to give oh, it a visual that's, that's cool. very cool I like again that. it's an advantage when your game is one physical item mm. <laughs> yeah and so then what you have happening um, after this is you've got all of these uh, game developers. You also have some early kind of console sort of situations developing, early sort of computer at home console mm. 
games happening. And then you have the video game crash of 1983. I don't know about this. I'm going to tell you about it. So the video game of 1983 was essentially this point where you started having third-party development of games. So Atari is one of the the big names at this point. Mm -hmm. They were outsourcing the development of games to other other firms to develop games. And so Activision is one of these. I think Activision still produces games to this day. I can't believe they won't go that far back. They go that far back. And they were one of the ones, they were one of the ones that sort of started this move because they were developing really high quality games for other sort of plat for other like computer technological development. Mm -hmm. And then 83, you end up having about a hundred different companies developing software. What ends up happening is there's an oversaturation of game development, which means you end up with a whole bunch of clone games, basically other developers basically stealing other people's Making content. Making the same thing with a different With outfit. a different outfit, like different clones, shell. Right? Like Pong clones, yeah. you also have, um, there was another clone. You can't, You have Space Invader clones, you also have um, Space War yeah. style clones. Um, and what you end up having is also games of questionable quality. Mm. So you have games that are being produced that are not nearly as good. And this le- leads to basically games not being sold. And so the market ends up crashing because the consumer confidence in especially like arcade games and those style mm. of games is really, really dropping. And this actually leads to an increase in home. Because it's reminds bad. The, reminds me of the dot-com boom in a way. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's sort of- Well, for me, it, like, it, 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 it aligns with that typical kind of like- um, capitalist thing, comrades, where um, <laughs> where like you know you've you've got the commodification of a thing that was driven by someone's creativity. So it's like you, the the innovators, the people who are starting to do this, are doing it because they are quite frankly genius, and they've mm. they've put their genius creative minds along with this technology thing, and they've innovated something brand new, and it is like super duper exciting. And then all of a sudden, people go like, "Well, we can make a buck out of this. Let's fucking do it." And all of a sudden, the suits are making it, and yeah. it sucks. Yeah. It's, it was the same thing with music. Mm. You know, the popularization and the uh, commodification of music and then all of a sudden pop music starts getting made by suits and it's fucking Mm. garbage. And it's not until the Beatles start going like, nah, I think we'll do it ourselves that things start to change. And so what you also have is now home computers are becoming a little bit more accessible and computing at home and gaming at home becomes more available. And Mm. so this leads to basically a crash in particularly the US market but Japan is not really hit that hard. And so what ends up happening is this whole situation sets up Japan to emerge as like the leader of video game industry for the next several years, maybe even several decades. Can I ask about Nintendo? We're getting there. Okay. Literally the next thing I was about to say. Okay, and what I mean is, can we play Nintendo? Well, we don't have <laughs> Nintendo. Um, but the other thing that this is, this era, like the, the early 80s into, into sort of 85 where Nintendo sort of starts doing their business. Mm-hmm. Um, is also the era of like the bedroom coder. So you start having PCs becoming things that people play around with and develop sort of like kind of fun in that space. But what you end up having is then in 85, Nintendo introduces the Nintendo Entertainment System, the NES. The good old NES. Not yet the Super NES. Not the SNES, (laughs) but the NES. Um, And this was an 8-bit console. And the other thing that Nintendo did is they maintained strict publishing control of all of the games. And they still they still fucking they do. still have very strict. They do mm. let a couple of places, a couple of development firms are allowed to make Nintendo games, but mm. they are really still strict on that. Um, later down the track, slightly to their detriment. Now I think to their to the positive again. It's like this kind of wave with with mm. Nintendo, mm-hmm. but they they have 
They develop this system and they actually use what is called a razor and blades model to sell the console. So what they do is they sell the console at, at basically at cost. Okay. Because they're going to be selling the cartridges. The games themselves. The games at themselves premium. at profit. Yeah. And so they basically make the NES the entertainment system. I think that may still be the model that they have now. Just, I mean, I don't know about the console side of it, but it's just like their games never get cheaper. It's like when you watch it, when you watch a game get released, and you know, you go. I usually go like because I'm quite frugal with a lot of stuff, with very good reason. Um, it, but like you know, you, you see a game come in, it's like cool. I can't wait for that to go on sale. So I can't. <laughs> um, yeah. But with Nintendo stuff, it never really does, particularly if it's like a Mario game, because they know you're gonna fucking pay for it. Yeah, <laughs> you, you'll yeah. buy it. And honestly, comparatively, a lot of their consoles are a lot cheaper than say. Uh, Sony, like a PlayStation or or an Xbox or something like that. Not to disparage Sony in any way because holy fuck. The the other thing that happens in the mid 80s is you start getting what are now known like video game franchises. This is the beginning of that. So you have Donkey Kong, Mm -hmm. you have the Mario Brothers, which become the Super Mario Brothers Mm -hmm. because obviously Mario as a character was in Donkey Kong, which was an arcade game. Then they make that into an NES game, they make the Mario Brothers. It's like the first sort of like development of an IP in a different direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Apparently, um, I didn't know this, but apparently Donkey Kong exists because um, Nintendo were wanting to make a arcade game based off Popeye. They couldn't get the license. Wait, as in Popeye the Sailor Man? Yes, Popeye the Sailor Man. And then they couldn't get the licensing, so they made, uh, they went, fuck it, we'll just make a new character that's kind of Popeye adjacent, which was Mario. Oh, wow. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I don't really see the similarity there. was there. no giant gorilla in Popeye, was there? I don't know. No, <laughs> there, was, there no, wasn't. No, there was like the big guy. His rival was like a big dude. That's true. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. And then they were like, yeah, it's going to be a big, big guy. And there was a, a girl that they fought over. It was Olive. Olive Oil. Yep. And yeah, and actually, you know what? Holy, holy shit. This is really yeah. obvious. <laughs> I feel very silly. And he gets stronger if he does certain things. Yeah. If he eats a certain thing. Yeah, yeah. if he eats mushrooms, but it's spinach in the... Oh my God, it's a conspiracy. <laughs> What's the fucking voice of... Of, I can't remember the voice for fucking uh, Popeye. Me neither. It's a me, Popeye. It's a me, Popeye. So you have Super Mario Brothers in 85 and that's when Mario also becomes the face of Nintendo. Mm. So Mario and Nintendo are synonymous. But you also Did have- Did you say 1985? 85. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah, because Donkey Kong, the game came out in, I think, 1980. 81. 81. Um, and then you have The Legend of Zelda, which is also another Nintendo franchise. 37 years of Mario being the face of Nintendo. Yeah, and um, Legend of Zelda was in 86. Really? Yeah. I always thought that was an original game for in the 90s, but nope. clearly there was a remake of a game 10 years earlier. Yeah, and then so what ends up happening is uh, the um, you start getting sort of like increasing... Uh, capacity in these consoles. So you get the 16-bit um, Nintendo, which is... Uh, the SNES? The, yeah, the SNES. Which is, yeah, it was called the Famicom, I think, in Japan and most other places. But in America, it was called the Super Nintendo. Yes, the Super Nintendo. Well, I mean, America's, like, good at almost nothing else but PR. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they believe their own bullshit so much that they think they're the best country in the world. <laughs> What's interesting about the <laughs> Quick SNES... Quick side note. <laughs> <laughs> Comrade. What's, inter- <laughs> What's interesting about the Super Nintendo is that they marketed itself as a, as a 16-bit game, 16-bit console. It was an 8-bit console with a 16-bit 
graphics adapter. So it wasn't actually a 16-bit uh, console. It got was the number lies. 16 in it, doesn't it? But what happened was because they started, <laughs> people started resonating with the whole 16-bit, it's new, it's different, it's it's better, it's superior. This ain't your dad's game console. Um, it <laughs> led, your dad didn't have one. <laughs> it led to this concept of the bit wars. So essentially the bit capacity of your gaming console became mm-hmm. a core marketing like metric. Yeah, because it's the, the bits refer to the, what the processor is capable of. Yes. It's referring to the processor, right? Yes. So it's, it's word length, the length of a piece of binary before it moves on to the next piece of code. So the Again. higher higher the bits, the, the more memory you can access, et cetera, et cetera. We're um, not doing that right now. And it does not refer to audio. <laughs> it does not refer to audio, 8-bit audio, because again, they're not yet playing audio. Yes. And so what ends up happening now as well is you have Sega who releases its console, the Mega Drive, or the mm-hmm. Sega Genesis. Mm-hmm. And this- Great name. They're is, so good, the Mega Drive? Yeah, and this oh is oh where we get Sonic the Hedgehog coming yeah. into the scene. Hell yeah. Oh wait, was Sonic not Nintendo? Sonic is a Sega? How yeah. dare oh, so you? Sonic was acquired. Yeah. Wow, yeah. like traded wow. to the Yankees. <laughs> That is hilarious. Yes. So then what happens now is you essentially have Sega and Nintendo battling it out console for console. Don't laugh at that. Console for console battle until 94. Okay. What do you think happens in 1994? Is it the Nintendo 64? No, it's not the Nintendo 64. What do you think happens in 94, Jim? Um, Korn's (laughs) self-title. Yes. And you also get the PlayStation. The oh, right. station. So the PlayStation station. the Plaid Station. the scene in, I wrote it down. Where the shit did I write this down? <laughs> in your fucking nine <laughs> pages. Fucking, in 94, what am I saying? In 1994, I yeah, literally said- You already said happened. it. I already said it. It's written yeah. down in your mind. And so the PlayStation, which is actually on my next thing, um, Hampered Nintendo and Sega's consoles because what ended up happening was the PlayStation was also the first console to use CDs. Yeah, yeah. So not only is like Rather way than, more data, but yeah. and also because of a CD, how a CD works, it can actually stream data off of it, which is what games do now. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, they load some into memory and then oh, we don't need that bit. Load the next bit into memory. Yeah, which is why they can now play audio files in the PlayStation because they they're now either streaming it and why like loading screens exist and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So they, they can they can do that now because Nintendo sixty four as well, which was coming up. We're yeah. getting there. Okay. So then the PlayStation, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which still used memory cards, but had like a those are really chunky memory cards, weren't they? Mm. Oh, they were satisfying. Great. Yeah, yeah, very satisfying. Yeah. So in the nineties, you start having this other not just the transition of from uh, the Sega and the um, NES and the SNES. So these were using cartridges still. Mm. So, you know, the classic cartridge that we remember from the 64, that was the same system. Yeah. Um, you take it out, you're blowing it. You blow on it, you chuck it back in. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> it does so, nothing. You put it in anyway. And we're also still, we're still talking about raster graphics. So raster graphics are 2D pictures on a rectangular matrix made of square pixels. So very, very simple imagery. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. using very gridded structure. Like and there's no like, roundness. So I'm picturing games like the early Final Fantasies yes. and, and Mario. Mario. And, or, yeah, okay. Jazz Jack Rabbit. Very like... Ja- anyone? <laughs> anyone? So then what happens is you now get the 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 advent of 3D graphics and polygon graphics, mm-hmm. which are kind of now the the graphic of... Looking which, at Final Fantasy VII. Yes. An example it's a really that. good example. Mm. Um, this is also where Everybody's you start... Everybody's made of hexagons. ...finally yeah. being able to produce first-person shooter, real-time strategy, and massive multiplayer online games. Because you can't have first-person shooter without 3D. Yeah. Those two things require each other. Interestingly, I think you actually can because I think Wolfenstein, this is one of those interesting things. I think Wolfenstein is actually 
2D, but the way that they manipulate the flat surfaces in oh. that yeah. creates the illusion of a third dimension. I could be talking out of my ass. Because I know there's Wolfenstein 3D. Yeah, but I mean, this, this is the thing. I think the early Wolfenstein game actually wasn't 3D technically. Somebody, yeah. somebody fucking... Check Email it. me. Send, <laughs> send, send a, a message a to the Instagram or just write to me. Here's my home address. Clearly, clearly it's like <laughs> I, a, I need to know. It's like a transition because like, I was thinking about to bring up Wing Commander again, which mm-hmm. was a space battle game from like 1991, a series of them. Um, but it was really clever for its time in a very arcade style game. Um, but you're flying through space and it's sort of, again, used a 2D programming environment basically mm-hmm. and graphics environment to simulate you being in space being in 3D mm-hmm. and of course by today's standards it's very very kludgy and difficult to use but it was pretty pretty amazing yeah. for its time you could actually go you know around a ship you know attack it from one angle rather mm-hmm. than another these freaking wrinkly brain people man well I mean speaking of arcade games you also get this fun little resurgent, resurgence of arcade gaming in the early to mid 90s and I think that this is a direct result of the sort of the crash that happened and sort of this like slow development of at-home gaming kind of meant that the people that weren't able to access at-home gaming didn't perhaps perhaps be able to afford the NES or the SNES. Mm. Arcades became a place where they could play Plus these games. that like cross-generational nostalgia as well. Yeah, like, for know, sure. Um, like, I don't know, like the fact that, um, you know, there was kind of like a grunge revival, mm. like roughly 20 years after, you know, it's just like yeah. this double decade kind of like, yeah, let's look back at that and think that's sick now. Like, yeah. And so then what ends up happening is the at-home video gaming industry by like the late 1990s becomes the gaming kind of approach. Mm. That is the way that people game is on home consoles and their house. As compared to like arcade gaming and what gaming is. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but the other thing that happens is because the video gaming industry becomes starting to mature now, it's been around for long enough that they can, they kind of have their, their, their roots. They've, they've kind of figured out how to do it. Mm. Now they can get a bit more, experimental they can do new things yeah and what this meant was and this is like a controversy i suppose is that games became more violent okay in the sense of how they were perceived at the time you get things like mortal Kombat, doom Mm -hmm. night trap these kind of more you wouldn't have these like necessarily very aggressive violent games like that you'd have like maybe shooting games but, but they weren't like gory, scary. No, and they yeah, didn't okay. have the graphics capacity to be mm-hmm. gory or scary. Yeah. And so this is where 3D graphics also allows for that. And so what ends up happening is you get game ratings being introduced in 94 ah. as a way to kind of regulate the space. Because it's basically not unregulated. For yeah. Not for kids. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's true because before then it's just like you have suddenly gory, violent games and it's just like on the same shelf as Pac-Man. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> or like even like something like Mario, SNES, you like, know, next to... Mortal Kombat, which I don't even think... I mean, I haven't well, played I Mortal Kombat pro- in a long pro- time. We're probably talking 96 or something, roughly 95 maybe. Like I remember going to a, a mate's house and playing Doom on his PC, having my little mind blown as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, like proper looking at this game, like holy shit, I was probably like 10. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm playing that. Yeah. And then in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, you get the Game Boy. Boy, don't you. And this is another cartridge space. So this is like not necessarily... It's an adaption of technology that Nintendo has been using for a while. Um, and it is like the first handheld gaming device. And it's a boy. It's a boy. <laughs> yeah, I never thought about that once in my life. And then it was just like the Game Boy. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, and so, why? <laughs> so <laughs> little man, you keep whenever, in your pocket. <laughs> whenever you buy the Game Boy, when it came out in 89, yeah. you got Tetris. Okay, it just came with it. Came with Tetris. See, that's awesome. that's all you Tetris need. Tetris became oh. one of the best-selling video games of all time. 
And it's still one of the most popular games because you can play it like there's arcade versions, there's PC versions, there's mobile versions, there's mm. Game Boy. There's there's Tetris as far as like wasting time goes mm. is the game of choice. It strikes me as kind of the first um, uh, equivalent of like the the mobile game, like Snake. Like well, I mean, like on your like even in the era of apps and games yeah. like your Fruit Ninjas and et cetera, et cetera. Like from that point onwards, like all of those. You know, I, th- I feel like Tetris falls into that category. Yeah. I feel like it's it's like here's this simple thing that is a pass the time thing. Yeah, time engage with things that are falling down. But I, sp- I suppose you could probably look at uh, Space Invaders the same way, but maybe not. But like it, it is on a console. It is mm. on a thing that's in your hand, and it's a simple time wasting kind of mm. game. Yeah, and so you do have competitors at the time as well. You got Sega's Game Gear and Atari is still doing stuff. He, they released the Lynx. These were technically better devices. I think like, it speaks yeah. volumes that I've never heard of those. Yes, but well, they it, had high battery consumption and they didn't have third-party developer support because they, Sega and Atari, kind of relied on third-party people developing games for their systems, whereas yeah. Nintendo was such an in-house yeah. operation that they were doing it. They developed their own games for their own for their own systems. Yeah. Okay. Right. Which I think is really really smart. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of funny. It reminds me of the it's the old Betamax story. Yes. Thing where it's just like the most superior technology doesn't necessarily win. But it's also superior technologies in the eye of the beholder as well. Because what I was going to say about the Nintendo 64 earlier was that it was called 64 because it was a 64-bit processor, which at the time is just ludicrous because computers only really, like Macs only, MacBook Pros and stuff, only reliably 64-bit processors from like 2010 onwards, I think. This is 1996. Crazy. Um, So like it's a 64-bit processor, but, and so it's got this capacity for 100 tracks of audio CD quality audio to play at the same time, mm. but it's a cartridge. Oh yeah, and like, like <laughs> so it and can't actually, do any of that. Let's, let's because jump. it has no, we're nowhere near the memory, and that's why it is playing <laughs> WAV audio mm. to for like for like um Super Mario and stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like it is, um, still like really really uh small musical ideas, arcadey sounding music, and that mm. might have been stylistic choice, but I reckon it was a stylistic and technological choice because yeah. I had to keep it to a really small amount of memory. I will actually share a bit of a story here as well because again, like you and I kind of missed this the entrance of this console into the world because we we didn't have anything like that in our household. Yeah, but it's like a lot of my friends did, and um, my wife tells a story about you know getting the sixty four when they were kids and sitting down with her brother and like they got Mario. They got Mario 64, mm-hmm. which again is like a hugely innovative game. Iconic like game. M- 3D Mario, camera moves following you, movable camera, like holy fuck. Mm. So that's blowing their minds as it is. But even little things, like little tiny innovations, like when Mario stands still, even though we look at it now and go like, oh, he's made of hexagons as he was yeah. before. It's just like, this is, you know, he breathes mm. when he stands still. The character isn't just frozen in place. He like lifts his chest and arms as as he's standing still, because just to show that he's he's in motion, he's a breathing thing. And she tells me this story, and it was one of those like jaw on the floor childhood moments of like I can't believe how real this looks, um, which yeah. is fascinating to think back, you know, on something that is so blocky and strange. Yeah, and like so, talking like let's continue with the console story because the PC story started. This is where we get a divergence where they sort of yeah. develop as kind of separate spaces. Now there's not they're not really in competition with each other. This is the point where we get a divergence of there's PC gaming, there's console gaming. They're mm-hmm. different kinds of gaming, yeah, and they develop on their own stream. So, so we're talking like kind of Windows ninety five onwards, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Like it's time to gatekeep, guys. And so, <laughs> so just to wrap up the handheld Game Boy situation, just really quickly before we move on to yeah. sixty four, the Game Boy because 
the Sega and Atari ones were, whilst technologically superior, were better to play, the Atari Lynx was already full colour in 89. Really? But they just couldn't be played because the battery consumption was massive. Too high. Um, And so the Game Boy was an unchallenged handheld game and it was also, I would argue now Nintendo still has basically a chokehold on the handheld console industry. It was a good boy. It was, I mean, because they went from the Game Boy to the Game Boy Color to the DS to the 3DS Mm -hmm. to the Switch, Mm -hmm. all handheld. And they have Mm. dominated that space and it's only like the Wii that they've introduced again as like a separate console. Yeah. Apart from the 64. So you get the, the 64. Wii, was the Wii not as successful though as, as far as I recall? It was and again, oh, we'll get to it. Okay, fucking right. Fucking <laughs> fine. I'll just stop asking questions. <laughs> you know what? Just let me speak. Okay, fine. Um, and so what you have is essentially you've had the 16-bit and you've had a bit of like a competition between Sega and Nintendo and mm. then you get 94, you get the PlayStation in. Um, and then you start getting the kind of, again, another sort of like console bit war where you get the 32-bit um, Sega Saturn that's released in 94, the same year that uh, the PS was, PS, PlayStation was released. Mm-hmm. It didn't fare as well. It also did use CDs, mm-hmm. but the PlayStation had already sort of done the thing. I remember that name, but probably only because I was alive and conscious at the time. <laughs> um. And not only so, not only did the reason why the PlayStation really, really took off was they, they obviously revolutionized CD ROM play, mm-hmm. but they also had built in support for the polygonal 3D graphics. So they had the graphics capacity to play those polygon car racing games and like all of that sort of mm, stuff. Okay. And so then Nintendo introduces the 64, which is a 64-bit console, as we said, also has this 3D rendering graphics capacity, but they don't jump on the CD bandwagon. They stay with their ROM cartridges Cartridge. and this fucks them. Mm. Because <laughs> they can't use the amazing hardware they developed. <laughs> well, it just means it because basically what ends up happening is Sony, because they can release CDs quite quickly, yeah, starts dominating the gaming market. And then by 2000, when they released the PS2, there's no way that like Nintendo is going to be able to really catch up with them in the console space while still using the same while console. still using the same they have to the do cartridge. Because remember this from a developer perspective as well: is that PlayStation was way easier to code for? Yes, apparently because well, not one because it was 32-bit. Um, and also because they had memory, they could use it off a CD-ROM. And then Nintendo had limited memory that they could use because of the cartridges, but also they were writing for 64-bit. And apparently it was notoriously torturous to write for. And oh. the, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Most of the people were kind of like, kind of glad it was <laughs> they didn't have to do it anymore, mm. basically. Yeah, when, it was a nightmare. Because when the PS2 comes out in 2000, this is not just a gaming console now. This plays DVDs. Yeah. This plays CDs. This has mm. backwards capa- like um, compatibility, compatibility with yeah. with PlayStation games. Yeah. So they've decided like rather than and this is this is actually a really big thing because when you move through say like the Nintendo games, the cartridges do sometimes change slightly, which means you can't use cartridges from an old system in your new system. Yeah. Or like um, one of the things they did well with the Game Boys is all the Game Boy cartridges were the same, but when they introduced the DS, they changed them, and they yeah. were no longer compatible, and so. You sort of got this cross compatibility. You don't necessarily need to throw out all these games. You can keep playing them. Mm. And so, by the way, this is where I came in. Yes, a PS2. PS2, and I this is where I so think, clearly. and this is where I think a lot of people came in because then this became not just the gaming. It became the center of entertainment in the household because yeah. you could play DVDs. You didn't yeah. need a DVD player. You mm. didn't need a CD player. If you had your PlayStation, you could do 
so many things. Yeah. And so... The, the memories memory. I have... Oh, yeah, sorry, go <laughs> on. <laughs> <Sorry, laughs> <memory. first>. My <laughs> memories came first because well, I'm they older did. than you. Um, I was thinking of it because I, I do seem to remember the first time having the PS2. Mm. I think it was... I don't know if it was a Christmas thing or something. I don't remember. Maybe. But, um, I mean, you should remember. <laughs> <laughs> Look at my eyes. His memories no, are okay, older. The reason why is because it's like sort of Christmas Day sort of vibe memories. Yeah. And then like we're, we're playing a new game and that new game that with the PS2 is of course the Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers. Yes, it was. Which is like a really clumsy and yet entirely loved slashing sort of game. I want to play that today. <laughs> I want to play I it want right to go now. Home and play that right I now. want to play as Samwise Gamgee. I'm going to find out how to play that on PC and stream that <laughs> on Twitch. <laughs> but the thing is my memories of that, because I was actually going to bring up literally that game, that it's and so the funny. Return of the King one, where it's like, because the, the Return of the King one, you could do multiplayer as well. So I remember yeah. being with my best mate and sitting there and we would like, one of us would be Legolas, one of us would be Aragorn and we'd be, you know, fighting and killing orcs at Helm's Deep. It's peak. But like, we would also have System of a Down steal this album cranky in the background. <laughs> and so, it's like, so I remember Visceral. Like, whenever I go back and go, hey, I'm going to, yeah, let's listen to some System of a Down, see how that goes. I'm just like, I just, I'm killing orcs in my head. <laughs> like, it's what that album is for me. So Nintendo tries to get on the optical disc bandwagon with the GameCube. And did either of you, I, so my brother had a GameCube. This was my first console. Yeah, I was well, aware of the GameCube, but yeah. not a lot of my friends had it. So it that's where we played or the PlayStation. Um, or the Xbox actually, but we'll get to that. Oh, what's the name of the game where you fight people? <laughs> oh my <laughs> you god. You know that game? Yeah, I, it's really Street just really hard Mortal for me Kombat? to answer. Mortal, I think it might have been Mortal Kombat. Tekken, Mortal Kombat. Oh, any, anyway, so you Fighty fight. McFight face. And there was also the Dragon Ball Blood Z time. games. Oh, the Dragon Ball Z games? Yeah, in the, again, the GameCube. So yeah. I remember that. But then, so... Then in two, so that was released in two thousand one, the GameCube. The same year, the first Xbox re was released, and this is because my this is because Microsoft was freaking out a little bit. <laughs> Microsoft was like, "Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! We're losing it." <laughs> the PS two, they were like, "It's going to become the central point of entertainment. It's going to squeeze out the need for personal computing in the household. It's going to <laughs> muffled screaming." <laughs> <laughs> um, because obviously Microsoft heavily dominated the PC gaming space yeah, because course. that was computers. Mm -hmm. That was pretty much it. There was not much competition in yeah. that space for like personal computing apart from Apple. But but they were kind of dying at the time. Yeah. yeah. And so <laughs> Microsoft, been resurrected yet. Microsoft is like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, releases the Xbox. Mm -hmm. um, and it does pretty well, actually. It does it does fairly, fairly well. Can I well. share some more of my understanding Please, please. Because here's, here's, a, here's a moment that I think that like younger people, it might take for granted. Now listen to <laughs> grandfather would sit around, <laughs> sit around the Which, wireless and listen. Sit around the Xbox and play Xbox. Halo multiplayer. <laughs> that is the story I'm about to tell. Because the thing is, I, I remember, again, like we never had <laughs> we never had an Xbox. But I remember, again, visiting a mate and um, he said, you know, got to play this game that, we, you know, it's great. And um, he puts on Halo. And I'm just so ready to sit there and watch him play. But he hands me a controller and he tells me that we're playing multiplayer. And I just go like, oh, man, you're just going to kick my ass. Because, again, my, my memories are of my friends who knew every map in GoldenEye down to where the spawn points are, which put proximity mines there so that when you spawn, you just keep dying over and over. <laughs> so it's like, that's my memory of playing multiplayer. But he's like, no, 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 it's, it's cooperative. And I said, what? And it means that you can play the plot of the game. You can play the, the story yeah. of the game together. And like, I'm sitting there with the controller in my hand. And I remember like, cause again, as, as a teenager, you just role playing is just natural. 
And I was just like, oh, I'm throwing a grenade, get out of there. Like, you know, doing mm. that whole thing, like being so into it in this magic moment of like the first time I realized that couch cooperative of the story of a game that has a pretty fucking sick story, by the way, and awesome music um, w w just happened to me. And I like, I, I'm, I know I'm not the only one with that memory. I'm sure that other people my age, I can tell you the same thing. <laughs> Listen to the wise man. <laughs> the wise elder millennial. It's also like <laughs> uh, Xbox is just like to me, you know, like we talk about the Pong machine that people bought. Yeah, Xbox to me just seems like a Halo machine because all I ever knew was people playing, playing Halo. Halo on it. On it, yeah. The only purpose that ever people ever bought an Xbox for in that time period, at least. Well, dude, it's iconic. Yeah, yeah. So it was so, the Halo box. Yeah. So Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft then and still are the three household names when it comes to console gaming. And actually, really cute story. They all released their next consoles within like several months of each other. How sweet. That's so nice. The Xbox 360, the PS3, and the Nintendo Wii. And the, okay, so let's talk about the Nintendo Wii. Because it's feeling very recent now. This is, this is in my, we're getting into my time. Let's sorry, go. Sorry. There's no nostalgia here. No. Um. So... Xbox 360 and PS3, I think what ended up happening now is Nintendo started realising that there was no point going up against the kinds of games, because we're now talking about also divergence of game genres, right? Mm -hmm. So the kinds of games that PlayStation, Xbox were, were like cooperative, multiplayer, first-person shooter, yeah. action-adventure games, uh -huh. those sorts of like high-intensity, running around, plot-based Sometimes, sometimes just... Meanwhile, Nintendo have decided to go down the route of nice shot. <laughs> yeah, but also what they started wanting to do is capitalise on the casual gamer, non-gamer market by yeah. making it less about hardcore, like, plugged-in gaming where yeah. you, like, have to be super into it, you play it for long periods of time, and make it tennis, make it make bowling, it bowling. Yeah. make it... And Golf, this, this is know. also when the DS comes out, so you start having things like... Um, Professor Layton is a big one, which is like little puzzle games that you like have to solve little- um, Oh, because the DS had like a draw screen. It's a touch screen situation yeah, now. Okay, so you're right. starting to get into this. You also yeah. have um, Nintendogs, where you take care of a dog, a virtual dog. That's cute. It's cute. It's I mean, cute. Does it, can it die? Yeah. Is it oh, like Neopets? Fuck, like, <laughs> what is this? Fuck, oh Jesus. Yeah, it's- um, <laughs> oh, Excuse me. Oh, I don't yeah. like that. Like, that just stressed Damn. me to the point where I was burp. I can't take that kind of responsibility, man. Shit. Yeah, and so, but the other thing that happens, and so this is where we're going to come back to the PC systems, is that the 2000s, which is when all of this was happening, was also the point of there was a resurgence of PC gaming at this time because of digital distribution, because of also dis distribution services like Steam, for example, mm. started becoming a place where you could actually like find games, yeah. download games without the need of discs. This was actually quite an early thing. Wow. Or browser games, online browser games that you can log into. Yeah, when you're surfing the web. When you're surfing the web. <laughs> like Globetrotter. Sure. Or Carmen Sandiego. <laughs> and so computer gaming is kind of a very, very different beast because it starts off with you kind of have these games like Doom being an example of that is mm -hmm. an like early computer game and they... Um, there was actually a lot of Doom clones in the 2000s. Oh, it doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, and it's like this kind of first-person shooter sort of game that you kind of just, you can use you. is it a mouse or a keyboard? I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, I think Doom was keyboard. I don't okay. think mouse was involved at all. But and now, then, I mean, obviously, like, if, if you're doing a shooter and you're actually good at it, you use a mouse or keyboard in general. I use a controller because I'm a scrub. Cute. Um, and then you also have graphic adventure games like Myst. Yeah. Myst. And you guys played Myst. Yeah. I've sure never did. played Myst. So tell me all about it. It's 
fucking sick. <laughs> it's like it's totally inexplicable. It doesn't tell you what to do. You get lost and sad, and it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's uncanny. Yeah, because it's just like they just drop you in this world, and you just kind of have to figure out. You just walk around, and you pull levers, and some of them do stuff, and then and you you're in, you're get angry about character. it, and you, then you can't go on the internet and look up a guide because you can't do that. You just you're, sit there, and it hurt. A faceless character. Which will actually, you know, in the Zork games yeah. is named an Afghan cat. Which is ageless, faceless, gender neutral, culturally ambiguous adventure person. Yes, which <laughs> is just basically like an amazing in-joke in that game yeah. for that era of I'll just of call games. you Afghan cat. <laughs> Where you just like, you don't have a personality and you're just wandering around like looking at journals and stuff, trying to imagine what you're supposed to do in theory. And then, of course, you just go online and look up a guide to what you're meant to do. And then you, ah, oh, that's what I'm meant to do. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, and that's I remember the game. playing Riven for the first time. and like because of Which course, is the sequel to Mist. Yeah, so Mist was like incredible and like conceptually brilliant and like had one of those things where it was combining obviously the digital graphics of the game, but it, like they, for the, any cutscenes and stuff, instead of trying to animate people, they just had actors filmed and playing yeah. these characters. And I think that was actually like a common thing at the time. Like I remember, I think- It's a bit of a Red 90s Alert thing. Command yeah. and Conquer and stuff like that. Like um, and things like that. They would have actors playing a bit. Pretty sure like, that's, sorry. Yeah. The, um, but then the sequel, like when you get to Riven, they keep, they they go with that still. Like it's actors on yeah. set. And even with Mist 3, they continued that whole thing. But like Riven was such a step up in the way that it looked and felt and the scale of it was so much bigger that I found myself writing things down in a book when I came across them just to have yeah. like a- in case that means something somewhere else on the map that's inexplicable. Like it was that kind of level of puzzle. Yeah, well, you just find like a ball that rolled on the concrete Yeah, that's wall, exactly the And you'd roll about. it and there would just be like a scarab and you're like, well, that's foreboding. And then it would make a different sound for each one. So obviously those two correlated in a way. So you yeah, write that There's down. just a button. <laughs> oh, look, this little uh, button or like a little uh, tap thing and it makes a noise or does it? And I'm just going to see what that did Yeah, <laughs> somewhere and else. And there's like something later in the game yeah. you realise that by turning that you've done something that maybe ah. either allowed you to progress or stops you from moving. Damn it, I didn't open the tap thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. But yeah, like so this is this era of like late 90s PC gaming. Um, and this is the games, again, the games that I enjoyed playing the most. Um, yeah. You also get the LucasArts Monkey Island games. Yes. Mm. Which are technically in the same sort of genre and less yes. puzzly, more sort of adventure. But, mm. Yeah. Um, and then you also get the first 4X games. So that's Explore, Expand, Exploit, and Exterminate strategy games like Sid Meier's Civilization. And this is where I. Mm. Enter the sort of gaming space as yeah. like a as like a PC gamer because I fucking love civilization. Yeah. yeah. But I don't like it when people go to war with yeah, me. Yeah. So like large scale strategy games. Scared of guns. I'm yeah. scared. You could see why you could see why this is part of the PC gaming story. Because one on a console, I don't think a developer would think to make that sort of game. Yes. Like a large scale map and you're running a, an empire or something. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean the difficulty of putting that onto like a a console and like having the information on the CD. It's might done actually, now, yeah. of course, but we're not, we're using a massive, you know, flat screen TV, mm. not a CRT little box mm. <laughs> with connected to your 64. Yeah. So you can see why this is like PC games with a space where this, this kind of gaming developed. Yeah. Um, and Simia's civilization, the first edition of that game was in 91. Yeah. For DOS, which is just mm. insane to me because mm. like, yeah. and it's virtually unplayable as to now. I can't, you know, it's what just pixels. What was the first version you played? Uh, th two. Two. Yeah, two. Yeah, because the first version I played was five. Which is very, okay, that's yeah. extraordinarily recent. Well, yeah. Um, but I have <laughs> some different to what I, I said. I have played four. Okay. A little bit. Yeah. But essentially the PC gaming is sort of, I mean, it, it just kind of develops into 
into sort of these like these big map online cooperative. This is where you get the MMO RPGs. Yeah. And you can you can play real time strategy games. Real time strategy. Yeah, so you've got Age yeah. of Empires. You've got yeah. Starcraft. You got all this stuff. Yeah, all of those things. And then you have later down the track, you sort of then, and I say later down the track, I mean like in the 2010s, you start having like things like Farmville and like those sort of more social yeah. games that kind mm. of develop and they're very PC game style. Yeah, I mean like one of the things that I like to play most even now is Stardew Valley. Oh, so fun. Because it, one, it's it's like it's a piece, a little piece of genius because it's taking elements of like very casual, light, um, sweet role play. Uh, and involving it with like a, a, a basic farming sim. But then, it, and people people always like, because I, I recommend this game to everybody. I think it is a beautiful game. I started playing it when I was having like serious blood pressure issues. Like I had massively high blood pressure. I was getting like proper chest pains. It was it was, it was in a stressful place and I needed to kind of de-stress. So I, I stopped playing the stressful games that I was playing and just started playing Stardew and, and bringing it on down. And it was so peaceful because that game can be whatever you want it to be. If you want to say, go and like just have a basic little patch of farm that you water manually every day and you go to get to know all the people in town and you have a relationship focus for the game, you can totally do that. If you want to power game and create the the most like manufacture wine en masse, <laughs> you can gradually work your way up to do that and everything can be automated and then you can focus on the design of the place if you're, if you're like my wife and you want things to look really nice. Like that it's just, it's one of those games that's just like it is, it is wholesomeness personified. And and it's like so it's taking and it's also in that kind of isometric old school yeah of, that's, that's um, what I was going to bring design up. as well that it's like artistically it is a throwback as well yeah so it's got it's got nostalgia in it it's got beautiful music it's got gameplay that is has variety and it has a sweet heart yeah like you know and one of the things about Stardew Valley for me and all of the games that are like it now mm. is that in our narrative we've been going oh, okay the games are exploding in their size and scale. And once you get to the computing power of the 2000s, like, holy shit, let's make this whoa. as realistic as we possibly yeah, can. Realism and massive uh, non-linear storytelling and mm. stuff, and really creative stuff. And then, and the closer you get to now, there's this nostalgia that pops up. Yeah, and you it's have a like, resurgence of like old style arcade games. Yeah, exactly. This 8-bit nostalgia, um, which Chiptune is a part of. What's chiptune? So chiptune is, well, chiptune just refers to the kind of music that I was describing earlier about like the programmable chips that would produce mm. that. <laughs> that sounds like that aliens now. a beautiful yeah. rendition. That was you. Gollum taking a piss. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't like where this um, is going. Yeah, yeah. So like, but like chiptune refers to like specific musical genre that uses those sounds. Um, and it's so related to this to me because it's part of the broader sort of game nostalgia, 8-bit nostalgia thing, like wholesome, um, cringe embrace <laughs> sort of vibe that's happening in a lot of game stuff now. Um, what's actually cool is that the chiptune itself as a genre is kind of not just music. It also crosses over into this DIY space where you're basically hacking old pieces of hardware <laughs> to produce the sound. So like... Um, for example, taking a Game Boy. The Game Boys are the most common ones for this because you can actually, there's a way that you can solder in uh, a MIDI cable, which is just basically a way of controlling keyboards, use it to control to um, synthesizers and stuff. Anyway, but you can plug that into a computer and and play music on the chip of the Game Boy mm. um, that you've written somewhere else, basically, that you've programmed somewhere else. So you program your own uh, score for Mario or something. Yeah, exactly. And you, you use the Game Boy's hardware <laughs> to. That's amazing. It's incredible. It's very strange. But amazing. Yeah, and so like what's fun about this is this kind of popped up in the, again in the late 2000s 
you have the nostalgia beginning that, mm. oh, it was a 20 years ago nostalgia yeah. of Game Boy nostalgia and stuff. And then um, people, you know, I, I found a, this one article in 2009 that was like, oh, it's going to die off with the Game Boy generation. It's going to die off. And it's just like, yep, joke's on you. Sorry. <laughs> like, uh, like now it's just a, it's a huge thing Big through Twitch, yeah, especially post the pandemic. Oh, because yeah. it hits right in this zone people of need, like people want comfort and they want safety and they want reliability. They yeah. want they want something that is like not an adventure. Yeah, and it's novel and it's fun and it's nostalgic. So that's a whole side of gaming right now, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. I do love the um sort of the more wholesome games that are coming out actually mm. in that space like Stardew. Like it's just nice to have games that yeah. are there just for the sake of of doing something really casual and fun rather yeah. than necessarily being like getting high scores, like trying to like beat every boss. Yeah. Like there's none of that. It's well, literally just something you can come in and out of. With very little sort of, I mean, there is combat in Stardew obviously, but it's like, it's, it's very little kind of, yeah, you go down into the mines and there's little monsters down there, but it's really basic. I have not gotten that far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, but it's an important part of the thing because you've got to go mining and whatever. But yeah, so it's like, it, it is a really chill, relaxing and sweet sort of thing to do but actually it, almost in the opposite of that if we're talking about sort of unique games that have kind of like a, 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 a flavor to them that is you don't find anywhere else I, I wonder I, I, I would feel bad if I didn't bring up Disco Elysium because it is unique as fuck is I, that a crowdfunded like indie developed I honestly, game I, I don't know okay. I don't know uh, but um play it it's bizarre and and it's really interesting because that that game again it's another one of those kind of like um, isometric, you're running around this map. But the thing is, it's not like a pixelated, it's beautifully rendered, but it's also in this modern, almost like expressionist fucking like despair inducing style um, because the story is really dark. It's really, really dark. But the thing is, the game is entirely text-based and like previously... Up until now, there was, I think in, in the early version of the game, there was little to no voice acting really at all in it. So it's like when you were reading these big blocks of text, it was just big blocks of text and all of the kind of skill checks and stuff you have throughout the game, because it'll have like essentially a dice roll um, for, you know, based on your skills for, you know, whether you succeed or fail a check, they're all conversation-based checks that it's all text-based. There's very few examples in it where there's any like combat or, or action in it at all. The rest of it is just having conversations. So it's like in the early version of this game, you would just be reading most of the time. And now it's narrated in this beautiful way and there's lots of awesome voice acting from the incredible actors and stuff like that. So it's, but it, it is, I, I know that there's not degrees of uniqueness, <laughs> but it is entirely unique. <laughs> and it, it is one of those games where, you know, I had jaw on the floor moments in it. I had like really just just uh, and laugh out loud moments with it. But it, my point is the reason I want to bring it up is because we've had this massive escalation of, you know, graphics and the look and the speed and the smoothness of games, particularly over the last 10 years. But what's also awesome is that people are kind of... Uh, trying to innovate in terms of the storytelling of games and in terms of like having something artistic to say with it. Like, mm. so, cause Disco Elysium itself, it might not be this fucking top selling fucking video game, but it was worth it because it's this amazing achievement in, in art in video games. I love that because as, as well as that, cause of the, uh, the text based element of that means that it's, it's actively doing something that is not, the principle of, of games of, of the past, basically mm. of focusing on creating immersive environments. Mm. Um, like, you know, like your big sandbox games. 
Yeah, like where Skyrim and stuff like it's that. realistic. Yeah, this is this is all like Assassin's Creed. Like we've yeah. actually recreated San Gimignano, and now yeah. you have to you can walk around and see this. And know? instead, it's a focus on storytelling and deliberately making a choice to and character to get rid of the realism that mm. that games have been striving for. Because now that we can do it, it you can now also have the choice not to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you can be not realistic. You can make games in that look like eight bit, mm. um, which is sort of fun. Yeah, and like that kind of plays into the fact that you've now. It, it's not really a reversion. It's more like you now have a world of choice of how your games can look and the style of your game is going to um, also have an impact on the gameplay. So the reason I think that like Stardew Valley might look like that because they wanted to create that nostalgic vibe of those mm. games mm-hmm. or maybe that nostalgic vibe of those games uh, like was the best design to create a game like Stardew. Like what, mm. It's kind of like you now have the ability to go, do we need it to be hyper-realistic or is this game going to be better suited well, for the, the story? Well, the thing is, I do actually enjoy the look of it more than I enjoy the look of something like um, Animal Crossing, for example. Yeah. Like, or Dinkum. Mm. Like I'm not a big fan of those games. Even though structurally they're very similar, it's just that Stardew has the tone that, yeah. that hooked me. Um, I think one thing before we finish that I kind of want to bring up is, is the rise of things like uh, streaming. Like Twitch being the best example, I suppose, yeah. of like community-based gaming. That where the and like I even mentioned it about my community earlier. That it's like the point of it isn't the game. Even the point of it is having a community. It's a place that like you know I have a schedule, and my community know that at this time and this time this week I'm going to be live. We can go hang out. It's like we can go and talk to the people anonymously with our screen names, um, and just be part of a community. You know, for a bit. And yeah, look, something that um, Sam and I talked about a bunch when we were researching this was the fact that there's this sort of journey in gaming uh, that we're still on, um, you know, towards it being a social activity, but it's towards it being a social activity again. And what Mm. I mean by a social activity is like, let's compare, it's 2006, you're alone in the house and you're going to play um, Final Fantasy Seven, I don't know. That's in 2006. You love Final Fantasy Seven. It's 10 years ago. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a great game. Um, <laughs> the point is, is that you're playing that by yourself. But now, like, gaming can be such a, like, a social experience. You can be constantly tapped in, even in, without streaming it, right? Mm. Like, you don't even have to be a Twitch streamer to, to, to game in that way, to even yeah. just be connected with communities about that so readily on yeah. your phone next to you or even in the game. Mm-hmm. But in, really, that's kind of a throwback because this video gaming story started with arcade games. Yeah. It started with people playing games and like mm-hmm. they, these, these uh, arcade boxes were like usually only one or two players, but you would often have other people there watching you play. Mm. It was a place where you would go and hang out. And these games were um, up social hub where everyone would go. And maybe you wouldn't necessarily play games the whole time. Maybe you'd literally just use it as an excuse and to just hang, hang out, out yeah. and like enjoy. And I think that's show. reflected a lot in, um, uh, in stuff like Twitch, because it's like you've got people who are making their living, absolutely like making their living off of Twitch, and like they've got huge communities. And it, but for them, a lot of the time, it is performative. It's about the game, like it's about someone being fucking top tier at this thing. Hmm. You know, they're a challenge runner of something, yeah. or they're like a, a ranked player of something else. Um, and then you've got smaller communities, sort of like mine, which is about the community. And then there's people that literally stream to play with their friends. Yeah, like just with you know two or three viewers. And just hanging out in a, in a community like that. That's then people meet friends and like there are two people in my community that realized that they were they live near each other and they went to a prog gig together. Like it was it's it's and that is all from like gaming in the same way. Like you said about the arcade, you might go to the arcade and meet new people that have a shared interest yeah. and end up you know 
playing D&D together because you're a pack of nerds anyway. You know, so it's like, I, I, think it's, uh, I think it's amazing. I think watching the escalation particularly, this is one thing that I want to say be- again before we finish up. I got a list of about five things I want to say. <laughs> now, I promise this is the last thing that watching the escalation, particularly after you guys have covered this today, where it's like, you know, we're talking about the, the late 70s and early 80s, these people mm. that are grinding out this technology and being super like adventurous with it and trying to make it work. And then there's kind of a slow and gradual introduction into, into you know, popular culture based on technology uh, and based on availability. And then the popularity grows and grows and grows and it gradually gets better, right? So the, the difference between like the early 80s and then the 2000s is massive. But the difference in the last 15 years has been immense. Yeah. To the point where if you go back and you play a game from like 2010, which again, for me, not that long ago. For some of our listeners, fucking lifetime ago. Shouldn't be listening to this if you're fucking 13, by the way. It's, I say fuck a lot. I said cunt earlier. What are you going to do? Um, but yes, games from the 2010s. Games from the 2010s. Thanks for reminding me. If you, know, if, uh, if you were playing that right now, it would look significantly worse or it would run significantly worse than something now because the kind of like technology war i guess it's almost like a space mm. race kind of thing of who can push this the furthest you know w- what is the technology that can make this realistic i i want to share an experience that i had recently where uh, it mirrors what i said my wife's experience watching mario breathe on the 64 having that moment <laughs> strange like thing to say watching mario yes. <laughs> breathe um yeah like it, that experience being mirrored I was I was going to Sam Valance's place. We were about to start recording vocals for the new album and we were doing some pre-production stuff. And after we were done, he's just like, oh, I've got to show you something. And he boots up um, Red Dead Redemption 2 on his computer. And he's got a, a fairly high-powered sort of PC for this very purpose and um, starts running it and just wants to show me stuff. So he just rides around the map and just finds this beautiful vista and looks at it. And I remember looking at it and in awe. Like in not, not even in like, wow, man, that's cool. But like literally hand over my mouth. I cannot believe what I am seeing. I had never seen anything like it because again, I, I don't, you know, I don't run a super high powered PC and, and I never really have up until recently um, done any PC gaming at all. And so this is like what it can look like. This is, this is where we're at now. So I, you know, what, 25 years late or 20 years late or something have had my like, watching Mario breathe moment yeah. um, on this incredible PC. And that's like due to the massive escalation of the last 10 years. It, it kind of reminds me that because like there's a, there's a similar experience that was, that's been described about um, computer space that first um, like sold video game mm-hmm. uh, cabinet game in 71 um, is that when people used it, they were so amazed by it. They were, it, it was incredible because it's 1971. There's no computers, no personal computers. Most of these people would never have seen a terminal connected to a mainframe before. Mm. So they've never ever made anything on a screen move before. That would blow your mind. It would blow your mind. Yeah. You know, remember the first time you saw a touch screen or something? If well, and if you're went, from a generation what? that can remember that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you know, it would have been absolutely incredible. But like what I took away from you, you saying um, that wow moment is that. And there's this arms race to create this uh, mm. amazing realism. As it seems like from looking at gaming from the outside now, it feels like that race is kind of done. Mm. <laughs> and that now game developers are making games that maybe don't even need it, don't even need realism anymore. Mm. And that the... What's the next adventure? What's yeah. the next race? Who's going to make the most interesting or, or different? Engaging thing? game. And yeah. I, I really look forward to finding out. Um, 
Guys, thanks very much. That was extremely informative and exciting to hear about because I love games. I love gaming. It's it's uh, it's good fun. Let us know, guys, um, what your favourite freaking games are. Let yeah. us know what you like to play. I know we've pretty much made it clear where where, where our heads are at and it's generally not first-person shooters. <laughs> <laughs> but we hope you like them too. Um, don't forget, friends, we now have a Patreon. You can reach us at patreon.com slash T-M-I-E podcast if you want to help support the podcast, help keep us uh, caffeinated and uh, keep the lights on, as it were. Also, if you want to check us out on Instagram at the music and everything podcast that's where you can send us a message and tell us about your favorite game or gaming experience what's your watching mario breathe moment (laughs) (laughs) this has been really fun we'll see you next fortnight for some more good shit in season two but for now it's goodbye from me and the sams goodbye goodbye take care of each other friends and we'll talk to you soon